watching the steps and the pitter-patter of the children running to the back. Now, I know children don't always know how to behave. Children don't always know the right protocol, know what rooms to go in, what rooms not to go in, what not to break, um, things like that. Children don't always know that. But a lot of what we do is for them to be raised up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We do these things. We have ministries for them. We, we have workers who volunteer their time. We have snacks. We have games. We have uh, ministries for them to know the Lord and for them to have... A, my, one of my philosophies of ministry is that when they're older and they look back on their life, that some of the best memories they've ever had we're in church. We're in the house of the Lord. And I understand that, but it doesn't mean that they're going to remember every sermon, every lesson, every single um, truth, every single uh, uh, rule that should have been and shouldn't have been. And it doesn't mean they won't break our heart all along the way. What I, my hope is, and I do believe this, is that when they get older and they come to and they start becoming grounded and mature, and they, even if they get to some really hard times and fall on their face, and they look back and they say, where... Was I last happy or where was the time of my greatest memories? My hope and desire is they look back and say, church. Because what happens is in that regard, when they're looking to find something again, guess where they'll go? Back to church. When they're looking to find some way to raise their children, they'll say, hey, it was great for me, let me bring them back to church. One of the things that I say oftentimes to my church, and I'm saying it to you as well, is we always leave the light on on the outside. And what I mean by that is, you know, when um, sometimes when, when our teenagers get older, they may go out and maybe older than that because, you know, teenagers always should obey the rules. But they go out and uh, what time are you coming home? We don't know when, but we'll leave the light on so you can always find your way back. That type of thing. No matter how far astray our teenagers, our young adults, the people we raised up in church, no matter how far away they may stray, we always leave the light on. What does that mean? They're always welcome back at church. No matter how far they've, astray, they've strayed, no matter how much they may have hurt themselves, hurt their lives, hurt our hearts, <coughs> the light's always on for them to come back. And so that's all part of what we do. So love the steps. It goes by like this. Kids who are are nine now in a couple years will be out of the house. We don't get that time back. So be mindful of that. Be, be, be understanding of that. If you have your Bible, Hebrews chapter 11 and Exodus chapter 1. Hebrews 11 and Exodus chapter number 1. Now, I say this all the time as well. I could not have, if you know me, I am not organized in any stretch. And sorry, that's what, that's what you get. Um, I have high energy, I work until I die, um, but organization, I don't have time to be organized because I'm on to the next thing at all times. <clears throat> so whenever the Lord lines something up, you know it could not have ever been blamed on me. So if it lines up right and perfect, it's the Lord, it can never be me, and I'm thankful for that because I don't want to have credit for anything uh, whatsoever anyway. But we're in our series on Hebrews 11. And we're looking at faith. And we're looking at how faith changed a nation, changed the world. We're looking at how faith changed people. <clears throat> how it would inspire us to live by faith. That the just shall live by faith. That um, we walk by faith and not by sight. And just so happens that as I was looking at this week, I said, oh, it's Mother's Day. There's got to be a Mother's Day sermon 
that we got to preach, right? Sometimes you got to preach. You don't have to, but. And then I was uh, thinking, we're on Hebrews 11. Oh, man, I don't want to take a break from that series. And then I thought, well, wait a second. Look where we are in that series. And it just so lines up. So let's pray, and then we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for the moms and the grandmothers and the ladies, Lord, who are moms to all of us and to many others. And Lord, Father, for the wonderful nature that that is, for the heartbreaking nature that sometimes that is, for the reflection of of great joy, also, Lord, for the reflection of great pain. But Father, I pray that you'd comfort all those that need comfort, encourage all those that need encouragement, and Lord, we rejoice with those that rejoice, and we're so thankful for um, the great gift of moms and ladies in our lives. And Father, we pray now that you'd help us to look at these things and that they would help us in the area of faith, in the area of moms, in the area of parents, in the area of trusting in you. And Lord, we pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't think there's any doubt to say that moms are one of the most undervalued and over-criticized positions in the entire world. And undervalued because they're the most necessary, the most necessary component of the family structure in, in, in our country. And I understand there's a great value on fatherhood as well, but there is, I mean, there is nothing like a mother. With that being said, there's such a cultural pull for moms to not know what they're supposed to do. Right? A lot of culture will say, you've got to get a career, you've got to get a career, but you also have to raise your kids. Well, how are you supposed to do both? And not only how are you supposed to do both, how are you supposed to do both well? And then, hey, listen, if you're too strict with your kids, that's no good. But if you're too much of a friend with your kids, that's no good either. And then you might have elements of, hey, listen, you need, you need to, to be loving to your kids, but not too loving. And you need to be, uh, you know, lay down the law, but not lay down too much. And there's this balance of what are we supposed to do? When are we supposed to have kids? When are we? And, and guys have it relatively easy. They just kind of go along and do what they do. And the ladies have this pull of what are we supposed to do? And I want to I wanna put on your hearts, ladies, that you just find the balance in God of what He would want you to do. Don't worry about what the rest of culture wants you to do. Don't worry about what the rest of everybody else wants you to do. You do what God wants you to do and you find in that. Because, I want to say this, the tool of a mother in the hands of God is like no other tool out there. It is an unbelievable tool. And so if you're a mom, you're a lady... I want you to commit yourself today to be a tool, an instrument in God's hands. I want you to be used of God. And I don't care if you have little children. I don't care if you don't have children yet. I don't care if you have grown children. I don't care if you've never had children. I want your heartbeat to be God. I want to be used by you in, in your hand for your glory and for your kingdom. I promise you that He will use you in a way that will be life-changing to other people. And it may even be life-changing to people who are not even your children. There's enough children out in the world who don't have moms or don't have strong godly moms or loving moms that they'll take that kind of mentorship and love from anybody. And they need it. And, and so I want to put that in your heart as we open up here in Hebrews chapter 11. And I want you to see this, how God used a woman, a mom even for a short time, that changed the course of history. Hebrews chapter 11, and look at verse number 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. 
Last week we mentioned a little bit how the Jews became slaved in Egypt and the Pharaoh who came on the scene had no regard for Joseph and what Joseph had done. And this was a couple hundred years later. And, and so he enslaved um, the Jews and the Jews were gr- growing in population and the Egyptians were feeling threatened by that. So they had a command that we need to kill the children. I mean, think about that. We need to kill the children because there's too many of them and they, want, they don't want the slaves to outnumber the authorities or the ruling nation, and so we're going to kill them. And so the Pharaoh's edict came. Kill every slave child that comes. Well, Moses' parents heard this command, and they and she and Jochebed, that's the mom's name, she's going to give birth. They have a big decision to make. They have a huge decision to make. Do we fear the king's commandment? Or do we trust God? What do we do? I mean, what a horrible time to have a child. Sometimes we look at the, at the nature today and say, it is a horrible thing to bring a child into this wicked world. And it is, it's a nerve-wracking thing to bring children into this world. It is really, really, it is horrendous in a lot of ways. And I have no idea, I have no idea how I would feel any bit of confidence as a parent if I didn't know God with this world the way it is. I'd be scared to death. Scared to death because that's how wicked this world is. I and mean, we're not even, we're not even, you know, kind of using euphemisms here. We're just saying it is, it is wretched. And I have no idea that the world my children are going to grow up in. It's, it's, it's changed so quickly over the last few years. What they're going to inherit by the time their parents, I have no idea what that's going to look like. And it's scary. It's, it scares me to death. And yet here we are. But the reason I can have confidence is because of God. Now we're told here that it's. Both parents are involved in this decision that they looked at their child and they said, he's a beautiful child, he's a proper child. Well, I'll tell you this, every child to their mother probably looks beautiful. And every child to somebody else probably looks ugly. Don't you think that? No offense, but like children, babies are cute because they're babies when they're first born. They're not necessarily cute because they're cute. They get cute really quick, but when they come out, man, I mean, do you ever... If you, never, if you never saw a child right away, first time I saw a child right away, I said, what on earth? The kid's head was like this. It was cone head. I remember seeing Saturday Night Live years ago and Dan Aykroyd having cone head. I said, what? What, what happened here? Well, that's the way it's supposed to be. What happened? You know, and there's, there's a lot of biological things where the, you know, the, the skull is not fully uh, connected and formed. But I, I was like, what? And their faces mangled. It's all different colors. And, and eyes don't open. They're usually chubby and all kinds of things. Well, Moses' parents saw him and said, he's a beautiful child. But I don't think it's just, man, he's really aesthetically pretty or really good-looking kid here. I think they said, God's put it in our heart that we ought to trust God with our children. One of the hardest decisions to do is to trust God with our children's future. Because here's what we have. We, this is, if you're, I'm going to assume everyone here is a great loving parent. I know we all have our flaws, but I'm going to assume that for the most part you want the best for your children. And here's the, 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 the struggle sometimes. We, we think, if I trust God with my children, what's going to happen? No one loves my children like I love them. But the reality and the truth is no one loves our children like God loves them. Do you know that God loves our kids more than we love them? That's hard to fathom. That's hard to, to contemplate. That's hard to think about. But it is the reality. God loves our children more than we do. And somewhere in this, when, when Jochebed and her husband 
uh, they have Moses, they have this child, they begin to think God may have a plan for them, so we're going to trust our child in the hands of God. Now save your place here and go over to Exodus chapter 1. Look down at verse number 9. Well, actually go to verse number 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more mightier than we. Come on, let us, now, let us deal wisely with them, let us, lest they multiply. And it came to pass that there falleth out any war, or when there falleth any war, they join also with our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of our land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh's treasure cities, Pithom and Ramesses. But when the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. Look at verse number 16. And he said, when, do you, when ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. Verse number 22. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. And so what we have here so far is the edict comes, kill every son. We don't want warriors fighting against us. Well, let the ladies live. They can be midwives. They can grow up to uh, be servants in our kingdom, and we can use them for our, our tasks. But the men, we don't want them. And so if you see a boy, you throw him in the river. Now I can imagine, as Jochebed's about to give birth, there's probably something inside of her that says, I hope it's a girl, I hope it's a girl, I hope it's a girl, I hope it's a girl. And then it wasn't. Look at verse chapter 2. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived and bare a son. When she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and dabbed it with, uh, with slime and with pitch and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off, wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she called his name Moses. She said, because I drew him out of the water. So what we have here is the edict comes, kill the son. Jochebed and her husband have a child. They're of the house of Levi. That means the priestly line. And now they know we have two options. Either the world is going to kill our kid. Either the king is going to, Pharaoh is going to kill our child. He's going to throw him in the river. Or, we're going to put him in the river and trust God. There is nothing more important for you as parents than to trust God for their future. 
if you don't trust God for their future, you're going to go nuts, you're going to, go, you're going to get paranoid, you're not, you're not going to be in control of a lot of things. And what do I mean by trusting God with, with their future? That means saying, God, I am giving them to you for your use, please use them, praying for them, invoking faith in God and saying, God, I'm trusting that you'll lead them, even when they're thick-headed, even when they're going to be uh, rebellious, even when they're going to do sinful things. And we know Moses is going to do wrong things. He's going to do sinful things. Matter of fact, he's going to murder somebody later on. And later on, that uh, as he's leading the people of God, he's going to mess up there sometimes that God's not going to let him in the promised land. And so Moses is not going to be perfect. But his parents said, either the world throws him in the river and kills him, or we send him down the river and we just trust God. And so they took a basket and they began to weave it and they took this kind of slime and pitch and maybe it was made out of like pine tar or something of that nature and, and, and there's scientific things of what pitch may be, but they made a waterproof type basket, put the baby on there and what would have been a great act of faith and it's got to be in human fear. Remember we've been saying this, if it were easy it would not be a faith. They literally put the child in the basket and whisk it away and say, I don't know what's going to happen to the child, but now it's in God's hands. Notice also they hid the child for three months. That was already breaking the rules. The Bible later on will say it's better to obey God rather than man. And these parents said we're going to trust God, we're going to obey God, even if it costs us our life, because we're supposed to report this to the authorities, and they're supposed to kill our child, but we're not going to do it. We're going to hide in for three months. And it's not hard to hide a child, is it? The child cries, whines, screams. That must have been nerve-wracking three months. Every wah. That sounded more like a sheep, didn't it? Every wah. I don't have good baby impressions, apparently. Every single cry, every single moment of discomfort every dirty diaper what that looked like in the ancient world i have no idea every bit of those things would have put them alert but they hid the child they trusted god god we're going to just trust you with this and if we die we die and then it came time where they could hide the child no more and they sent him down the river and as we see here as the story unfolds one day, the princess, the, the daughter of Pharaoh, of all people. Now at this point, if you didn't know the story, and you just saw that Pharaoh's daughter happened to be by the shore, you may think one of two things. Either this is the worst thing that could happen. Because you don't want the man making the law's family to find the child who you're breaking the law with. But on the flip side, there's a great element here where you say, well, if she likes the child, she can go to daddy and daddy might give her an exception to the rule because she finds a little puppy dog down by the river. It's kind of the mindset. And so again, Moses and his, Moses's parents have no idea, but God's in control. I want you to understand this. God is sovereign. He's in control. We like to be in control. We like to have the wheel. We like to have a say. We like to give permission. But at the end of the day, God is in control. And that's scary because it means we're not in control. But it's wonderful because we know the one who knows is in control. I have no idea the ins and outs. I have no idea good or bad. I have no idea. Thank you. I have no idea how to make the right decisions or what's going to come tomorrow. But the only thing I can do is trust God that He knows. So, here comes Pharaoh's daughter. 
And she quickly knows by the ethnicity that this is a Hebrew child. And somehow there's not a question of like, hmm, what's going on here? They're like, wow, I think I want to keep it. And so she plucks them out of the water and she says, I'm going to keep it. And then one of her servants says, well, we need someone to nurse the baby. And they said, do you want us to go find one of the Hebrew moms who just had a baby and she can nurse them? And she says, that's a good idea. And so the servants go amongst the crowd. Who here had a baby who can nurse? And all of a sudden, how about you, lady? You, you look like you just had a baby. And she said, I did. Would you like to? We, Pharaoh's daughter just found a baby by the water. One of yours. Would you like to be the nurse for it? Now, Jacobed had to be all of a sudden say, you got to be kidding me. Because guess who they, guess, in, in case you didn't know, guess who the nurse was that the servants of Pharaoh's daughter found, Jacobed. If you don't think God's in control, and you, you tell me how that happened. God literally reunited the children legally now because they trusted God. Even in defiance. Even in defiance. Now I want you to understand something. They weren't just trying to defy the government. They were trying to obey God. And in obeying God, they defied the government and they saved a child's life they saved their own child's life, and then God reunited in this beautiful picture where now Jochebed's nursing that child. So she's now giving that child influence, 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 influence. Back in ancient days, a child would be nursed probably somewhere around three years old. And so though the child would go back home perhaps, or maybe not, to Pharaoh's household, Jochebed had those first three years of influence now go back over to hebrews chapter 11 the bible says in verse number 24 by faith moses when he was called come to years refused to be called the son of pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of god than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season I'm going to stop there for just a second. Moses, as he grew older, he would have been raised in all of the Pharaoh's training. He would have been with the makeup of Pharaoh and the head garb of Pharaoh, and he would have been considered a grandchild of Pharaoh. <clears throat> and so he's got certain privileges and rights. Across the way, he could see the Jews, the Hebrews. And guess how they're being treated? They have no clothing by which to call their own. They're being whipped. They're building pyramids and cities and and different things, <coughs> and they have nothing to eat. They're being afflicted. They're slaves. And they're being harshly treated. And the children, the boy children, all being killed. And now Moses, really easily, really easily, could have embraced the comfort of this life and lived with Pharaoh. You know, I love that sound because that usually means like the Buffalo Bills are going to be playing and like they're winning or something. But it's not even football season. Don't worry, my watch does weird things too. I don't know what it, what it does. But think about that for just a second that they, he, he could have chosen the comforts of this life. He could have chosen the identities of this world. And by the way, he has stark opposites, right? It's not like, well, you want to be your people or uh, you know Pharaoh's people and they kind of make the same wages and they kind of live the same amount of comfortability. No, no, no. One was living in the 1%. 
The other one was living at the bottom line of poverty enslaved. And Moses here, the Bible says that as God worked in Moses' life, and as God used the influence of his mother and his mother's identity on him and who he really was, <coughs> I can imagine all the while that Jochebed is, is, is um, training up Moses, that she's telling him, hey, listen, you're, gonna, you're special. God saved you. God's going to use you. God's going to use you. You're going to be used mightily of God. God saved you out of the river. And she probably told him that story. And probably when the time of, of departure was going to come where she was no longer going to nurse him, I can imagine in my mind's eye that Moses says to, to his mom, Mom, tell me the story again. Tell me one last time of what God did in my life. Tell him what God did in our lives. And she would have said, Son, you were supposed to be dead. But we trusted God, your dad and I, and we put you down the river. And you were plucked up by the Pharaoh's daughter, by the, the lady who, who, might, who considers herself your mom. But you're our, you're our people. You're God's child. God picked you up and reunited us. God's going to use you. And that would have been inside of his mind. Mom, you have every single right to tell your child that they will be used of God if they'll live for God. You have every right to tell them they're special in God's eyes. That's not a, a, a stroke of, of egoism or a stroke of, of, of self-esteem. God has a plan for every one of our lives if we'll just walk in it, if we'll just commit to it, if we'll just follow it. So you have every truthful right to say, hey, listen, God's got a special plan. I don't know what it is. But God does. And if you'll just put yourself in God's hands, you'll see it. And there's no greater way to lead your children, moms, than that way. To tell them that. <coughs> to reassure them that. Because somehow later on, when Moses is of age, instead of choosing the comforts of the wealth of Pharaoh's household, and saying, I'm a prince of Egypt, he said, no, don't call me Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, don't call me the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Don't call, I'm not them. How offensive and insulting might that have been? He said, the Bible here tells us in 25, he'd rather suffer the affliction with the people of God than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. What were the pleasures of sin? Every single thing that the flesh wanted, Pharaoh's grandson could have had. Everything. And he said, no. My identity is in God. My identity is in, believe it or not, my identity is in Christ. And you think, hey, you didn't even know Christ. Hold on. My identity is in Christ. My identity is in God. It's not in the wealth. It's not in the popularity. It's not in the position. It's not in the prestige. It's not in the pleasures. It's not in all the comfort of this world. I refuse to be identified in that. I mean, literally, how, how many of us would have made that decision when we came of age, when we were young adults? To say, I'm going to choose God over successful comfort. One of the reasons why the church is so weak in America is because we bow down to the throne of comfort. We want what's easy, what's comfortable, what is luxurious. I mean, we're all guilty of it. We don't want pain. We don't want affliction. We don't want hardships. We don't want difficulties. I mean, I think back to the 1800s and 1700s, and you know, families were having <clears throat> 10, 11 kids, and four of them died, and mom died in childbirth, and 
they still trucked on. Forget, forget about it. I, I'd be gone. I don't have the I, I don't have the mental emotional fortitude, I don't think, for any of that. I mean, I know God gives grace in time of need, but I'm just saying, as I think of myself, I'm thinking I couldn't handle that. Well, a lot of the reason I couldn't handle that is because we live in a society where things mostly go our way. Back then, man, nothing went your way, seemingly. <clears throat> and here Moses, everything seemed to go his way in the way of the world. And he said, I'm giving that all up. That I'll be numbered with God's people who are slaves. Man, that's a big thing. <clears throat> and he said, I'd rather suffer than to enjoy sin. Sometimes when we have to mortify the deeds of our flesh, that means we have to tell our flesh no. Sometimes you do suffer for that. Look at the next verse. This is amazing. Esteeming the reproach of Christ. Greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. The Bible says that he esteemed the reproach for Christ or of Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. Somehow he knew the coming Messiah would suffer, <clears throat> and he would suffer for him as seeing the one who was invisible, as seeing God, as seeing the future, as as if knowing what God was going to do, he said, I do it for that. And he had no knowledge of Christ personally in the sense of knowing God, Christ-wise. But he trusted of the message of what was going to come that was written all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. And the Bible says he forsook Egypt, <clears throat> not fearing the wrath of the king. His parents said, we don't fear the wrath of the king. Somehow Moses got the message, I don't fear the wrath of the king. If you trust God openly in your home, it trickles down. If you fear everything in this world, it trickles down. If you complain about everything in this world, it trickles down. If you criticize everything in this world, it trickles down. But if you'll walk with Christ, it trickles down. Now, there's no formula to make kids perfectly follow God. Uh-uh. A lot of days, even if you're living right, even if you're trying to raise them right, you're going to be pulling the hair out of your head if there's any left. You're going to be crying. You're going to be begging. You're going to be crying out to God. Why? How? Heartbreak. Heart, that's just the way life goes. But the Bible does say, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they shall not depart. I do believe God will continue to work in their hearts. Moses, for a while, looked like the world, looked like Pharaoh, but when it came of age, he said, nope, I will suffer for Christ. I will suffer for what's to come. For Him. <laughs> that's greater riches. He said, if I suffer for Christ, mind this, if I suffer for Christ, that's of greater riches than all the earthly riches I can have. Do you hear this message? It's so anti-current American culture. We don't want suffering, and we want what we want now. Microwave generation. Give, what I, give me what I can get now. And if you can give me quick wealth, yes, yes. He said, no. Nope. I will do what's right. I'll keep on trucking. I'll keep on keeping on. 
My identity is in God. We live in a society that is not this vastly different between Christians and, and, and non-Christians, but I'll tell you this, if you're going to identify yourself as a follower of Christ, there's going to be a lot of areas in this world that they don't want you to fit in with them. Nope, we don't want you. It used to be a great thing for a presidential candidate to have a walk with God. Nowadays, I don't know how you'd make it through politics having a strong walk with God. You wouldn't be elected often. You can say, oh, I believe in God, but there's a lot of things they don't want. Different areas, you bring up God at certain places, and all of a sudden, they don't want you back. They ain't going to invite you back. It might be your family's house. By faith, though, trust that whatever God wants is better than whatever you can achieve. Better than whatever you can obtain. And we're going to see God's blessing. God's not like short on blessings. But He chose to suffer as a greater rich, greater treasure than all the treasures of Egypt. So what winds up happening is He winds up one day, at about 40 years old, he's walking out there and he's still under Pharaoh's uh, house. And he notices a taskmaster whipping another Jewish slave. And this is where he goes a little awry because he just starts thinking and he starts calculating, God's going to use me, I'm going to deliver my people. So he says, let's get it done. And he goes and he kills the Egyptian taskmaster. Now maybe he thought, I can get away with it. Maybe he thought, this is when God's going to do it. But all of a sudden, the Egyptians want him as a murderer now. And guess what the Jews say? You spoiled little brat, we don't want you over here. And he's like, what? Oh no. I came to deliver God's people and God didn't show up. And my, the people don't want me. I thought they would have been like, yeah, come to our side. No. And the Egyptians, I once was Pharaoh's grandson, now I'm a wanted murderer. And so what Moses does is he goes to the backside of the desert and he meets a nomadic tribe there, a shepherd, and he marries a girl. And Jethro, his father-in-law, says, you know what? I'll hire you, just watch the sheep out in the desert. And you know for the next 40 years, Moses just does this in the desert. Maybe every once in a while he's got to knock a snake away or something. I don't know what's out that way. Maybe there's some coyotes. I don't know. For 40 years, Moses got to be thinking, man, I messed up the plan of God. For naught. For naught. My family trusted God and I messed it up. My family trusted me in the hands of God and I went out and murdered somebody. God's never going to use me now. The Jews don't want me again. And now I'm banished to the backside of the desert. For 40 years, that message must have rung in his mind. Man, I really suffer for nothing because I messed it all up. You know, on the journey of faith, we do mess a whole lot of things up. And it's easy to think on the, on the journey of faith that God will never have us back. This man literally murdered somebody. And one day, 40 years later, when he's 80 years old, he's got to be thinking, well, ain't nothing happening now. All of a sudden, he's out in the desert and a burning bush starts talking to him. He's looking around confirmation can anyone help me here this bush is burning but it's not being burned up 
It's just like a fire in a bush, but nothing's being consumed. And, the, and starts to speak to him, and he finds out that it's I am, God. And God, through this series of messages, conversation with Moses, says, I want you to go back and leave my people out. And Moses like, you got the wrong guy. He said, go back. Uh-uh. Go back. I'm a murderer. Go back. The guy, the guy who wanted you to murder, he's not even there anymore. I can't lead the people that don't want me. I'll be with you. I can't speak. Don't worry, I'll be with you. I can't speak. I have a problem. I have a speech impediment. I can't do this. You're calling me to do something I can't do. And God said, I'll be with you. But by the way, your brother there, he'll be with you too. And he's a pretty good speaker, Aaron. Go back. And finally, Moses runs out of excuses. He done messed everything up and thought God was done with him. But in the great faithfulness of God, he's not done with us. If you're alive, he's not done with you. That is an awesome truth. No matter how much you've messed up, he's not done with you. So Moses goes back, and now he's got to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, God said it. And he does. And each time Pharaoh says, no, a plague comes, and another one, and another one. Finally, ten of them come. And the people finally start following Moses, and the hand of God is upon Moses now and now it begins to make sense that his mom trusted God so long ago and though she may not always, see faith doesn't always allow you to see the end result it's trusting God in things I can't see it's trusting God for what will come and then the tenth one the, the, the death of the uh, firstborn we talked about a few weeks ago look at verse 28 through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood lest that, uh, lest he de- that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. After the tenth plague, Pharaoh said, "Let my fine, go, go, get out of here. His son had just died because the God had come through and killed everyone who didn't have the blood on their doors, first son, firstborn. And they ran out there and all of a sudden, after a while of them leading, Moses leading the people and thinking, man, this is good. He hears the patter of, of, of chariots and horses coming. He looks back and it seems that Pharaoh's changed his mind. And Pharaoh's chasing after him. And Pharaoh's going to kill him now. And they have no army. They have a bunch of slaves. They have a, a million and a half people, mostly women and children. Remember, a lot of the men were killed already. And they come up to now the Red Sea and there's no way to go. Look at that next verse though. By faith they pass through the Red Sea as by dry land which the Egyptians attempting to do, were drowned. All of a sudden, God says, Moses, put your staff in the water. And he does, and boom, like a wall. Not only a wall, but the bed of the Red Sea is dry. It's not wet, it's not like quicksand, it's not muddy, it's dry. Walk through. Well, if God did this, we'll walk through, and we have no other choice. Sometimes God puts you at at your back against the wall, there's no other choice, but by faith, go forward. So by faith, a Red Sea parting, they go forward thinking this ain't going to work, probably. Man, what's going to happen? If this falls, we're going to drown. If God stops, He's going to drown us. They get through, and all of a sudden, the wall doesn't fall down, and Pharaoh's whole entire army starts coming through. They might get a little nervous, but God waits until the whole army is right in the middle of the sea, and then, They try to follow what the uh, people of faith did, but they did without faith. It came crashing down. Now that's where the narrative stops here for Moses. Now, basically the entire book of Exodus, Numbers, 
Leviticus and Deuteronomy are about the story of Moses. So if you think I can go over the entire story of Moses in just one sermon, you're going to have to take the abbreviated version. But for the next 40 years, from the time Moses is 80 to the time he's 120, he's going to be following God's leadership as he leads these stubborn, stiff-necked people. Because sometimes those people that he's leading be like, I don't want to go anymore. We've got to keep walking. I don't want to. You've got to come. I'd rather go back to Egypt. Are you nuts? You want to go back into slavery? Yes. They had better food. Literally, that's what they said. They said, I remember the, the, the garlic and the leeks. And all we have is manna from heaven. At one point, God's going to kill them always. I'm killing them. And Moses prays, God, don't kill them, please. For your name's sake, have mercy. That nobody in the world would know that you killed your people, that you had mercy on them. He intercedes for them. And you know what? God uses that prayer and he says, I'll, I'll pardon them. And finally, get to the precipice of the promised land and Moses can't go in because he lacked faith and took some credit from God a little while ago and they all went in and Moses died and sometimes people say man that stinks no 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 Moses went to the real promised land don't you worry when he died he went right up to heaven he didn't miss a thing but here's what I want you to see and I'm gonna sum it up quick and then we'll be done faith accomplished all this Here's what I want you to see. Number one, a mother's faith caused the impossible. Every single step of the way, Moses' journey was an impossible journey. Put the boy down the river, there's like a 99.9% chance he's going to die. He doesn't. Someone's going to save him. There's like a 99.999% chance it won't be Pharaoh's daughter. If she woke up late, she ain't there. When he, I mean, how long does it take for that baby to walk down, you know, right down the river? It's a couple-second window. Time has got to be perfect. Person's got to be perfect. The impossible happened. Then, out of all the moms who just lost children, one of them's got to nurse it. Who is it? Moses' mom. What's that percentage? N- not likely. Impossible happened. Then he raises up, and what, what is going to happen? Our Our kids are not going to do the right thing. They're not going to do the right thing. Maybe they won't do the right thing. But we trust God that they will. We trust God that He'll work in their hearts. And guess what happens? Moses chose the right thing. He chose to be identified with God's people. Then even when he royally messed it up, God's grace continued, continued. The prayers of his parents were heard years later until he was used to be the deliverer of God's people. I look back and say, how did this happen? I'll tell you two things how this happened. I'll tell you three things how this happened. Number one, God, right? That's the end all. Or number two, the instrument in God's hand, the mother. And then number three, a child who said, I'll follow the way my mother shot the arrow. See, our children are arrows in our quiver, and we shoot them in a direction. We let God take the flight. The mom, Jacobet, shot Moses in a direction and Moses went with it. God did it. Mother's faith caused the impossible. Number two, a mother's faith gave her child to the Lord with no strings attached. A mother's faith gave her child to the Lord, no strings attached. We might say, God, I'll give you my child if you do this. 
But not this. For God's glory, we give our child over to the Lord. And what happens isn't always what we want to happen. But we say, God, we trust you in this. A mother's faith said, I have no choice. Here you are. Here's my child. No strings attached. Do with him whatever you would like. Number three, a mother's faith made a huge impact from an early age. There's somehow, some way, Moses' mother influenced him in faith in just the first couple of years. Do you know what that tells you and tells me? Those first couple of years, there's a lot that goes on. Holy cow. Sometimes we think, and they ain't going to understand anything until they're 11 years old. Well, Moses didn't really talk to his mom at 11 years old. He got zero through three. You know what that does? A mother of every toddler and younger has a great royal responsibility to be used of God in that way. Oh, man. That's pretty amazing. Number four, a mother's faith saved a nation. A mother's faith saved a nation. Literally, she saved the children of Israel because she gave her child to God. And that was it. She changed the course of history. She changed everything because God said, I'll use this instrument. Here's a mom. Just trust me with your child. And she did. Last one. A mother's faith was her reward. Let me read to you just one quick verse. 1 Timothy 2, verse 15. The Bible says, Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing, if they continue in faith, in charity, in holiness, with sobriety. Saved in childbearing doesn't mean saved by like going to heaven, salvation. But remember, part of the curse was there would be great pain and travail in giving birth, in childbearing. In First Timothy, there's this like alleviation from the, from the pain of the curse. Here's the alleviation. As you go through great pain to deliver that child. And by the way, moms, our children are spoiled brats. They have no idea, and probably our husbands too, they have no idea the pain you went through until they themselves go through it. But as you had great pain to deliver your child, that's alleviated if they continue in faith, charity, holiness, and sobriety. It means when your children grow up to serve God, you look back at that pain and say, what pain is worth it? Moses' mom and all the struggles and all the heartbreaks and all the, the turmoil she went through. Her, her walk of faith was not like emotionless. Some people think, well, these people, they just trusted God and there was never, an, a, there was never a hard emotional moment. Oh, yeah, right. When we trust God for the future and things go wrong and things go hard, it's not like we just sit there and say, we should have faith that it all work out. No, sometimes faith is a horrible journey of pain. But we just say, God's going to work it out. God's going to work it out. Somehow He's going to use it for His glory. When Jacobet got to heaven and she would later see it all unfold, she would have been like, I never would have believed it. But thank you, God, for doing it. 
her reward, her faith was her reward because her faith permeated down and produced faith in her son who walked in faith and changed the world. Man, that's a great message. Moms, dads, regular people, children, adults, faith can absolutely change a nation. We can inspire faith in other people. It doesn't just have to be biological moms to children. But as we walk by faith, we influence other people. We give them a sense of what to do and how to do it. We become role models even if we're messing everything up. And say, but just trust God. And we'll see who the next world changer is among us. Whose message of faith would permeate down from someone else. And they would go off to serve God in this great way. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. What a great story of faith that only could have been orchestrated by God, that only could have been manifested by God, only could have been empowered by God. And yet he did it. Praise God who does these things, who is sovereign and in control. Let me ask these couple questions and we'll be done. Number one, if you die today, do you know for sure you're, go you're going to heaven? Maybe you've never had personal faith in Christ as your Savior. You've never cried out to Him and said, God, Jesus Christ, forgive me my sins. I trust You as my Savior. Please save my soul. And again, it's not magic words, but maybe you've never prayed under God that way before. You've never trusted Him. And you say, I don't know if I'm going to heaven when I die. Would you pray for me? If you say, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven, would you quietly raise your hand right now? I'm not going to embarrass you, call you out, anything like that. I see your hand. I see your hand. God bless you. Anybody else? I'm not sure I'm going to heaven when I die. Please pray for me. Here's a second question. This is for moms. And I'll open up to everybody else in a minute, but just moms for just a second. How many people here would say, Pastor Jason, would you pray for my children? Maybe they're going through a difficult time. Maybe they're not. But your, your prayer is, God, use my children for your glory. And you want us to pray for that today. And you're, you're, you're as a testimony, saying, God, my children, whether they're grown or young or, or not yet born, they're yours. That's your testimony. That's your prayer. Would you raise your hand now? Whether old, young, not yet born. I see many, many hands. Many, many hands. Last question. How many people here would say, Pastor Jason, would you pray that God would help me on my journey of faith? I sometimes struggle, but I want to be more of faith. If that's your testimony and prayer today, would you raise your hand? I see hands all over the place. Good. Let's stand to our feet. Head bowed, eyes closed. No looking around. If you would like to come pray about something, you want to come commit your children unto the Lord, you want to come talk to somebody about how to be saved, you want to come uh, pray for your grandchildren, you want to come pray for your journey of faith, why don't you come to step out of your seat right now, use these um, booths, uh, these uh, pews up here as just a, a time of privacy between you and the Lord. You can come. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to call you out. We're not going to make you do anything you want to do, but we do want to give you that opportunity. And what a great opportunity to pray for our kids and for the kids of the church.
hey, the next time you feel aggravated that the church, the kids are running around or they bumped into you or they stained something, instead of getting aggravated, pray for them that God would use them in a mighty way. They're the next leaders. Or they're not. And if they're not, who will? And remember this, no matter how annoying your children are, no matter how frustrating they are, no matter how rebellious they sometimes are, you remember that in the eyes of God, they are special and God has a plan for them. Now whether they'll realize that plan or not, and whether they'll walk in it, that's, that's between them and the Lord. But steer them in that way. Pray that way. Encourage them that way. You might think all hope is lost. Let me remind you of this. Don't ever write the end of the book for God. Let Him do it. doesn't matter how far they've wandered. Let God write the end. Let God work in their lives. If they're not saved, pray for them to be saved. If they're not walking with God, pray that they come back. If they're driving you nuts, pray for grace and offer forgiveness and mercy. And kids, teenagers, adults, I hope you value your mom, your grandmother, and all the other ladies in your life that have impacted you. And I hope you pray for them on a regular basis. Motherhood is a perpetual change. When we're younger, as kids, all we want to do is grow up so we can be on our own. For moms, all they do is get to say goodbye. And once was the little child in their arms, now is the adult who's living their own life and doesn't have that time anymore. Don't forget to pray for your moms and your dads and everyone else that impacted you. And thank God that God gave us moms. Father, we thank you for every lady in this room for how they impact us, for how they challenge us, how they can be a model of faith. Lord, we know that you are the great God in heaven who is in control, and thank you for using instruments such as sinful people like us. And thank you for using and creating ladies the way you did with all of their wonderful attributes. And Lord, I think of Jochebed. What a wonderful testament of faith where she trusted her most prized love of a child to you, and you did not fail, Lord, because you don't fail. Lord, I pray for every child here, for every mother here. I pray for everyone that raised their hands for one reason or another. I pray for those that need to be saved, that they would get saved. I pray for those, Lord, whose children um, want prayer, or their parents want prayer for them, whether they're wandering away, whether they're not saved, whether they're living their best life in God. I pray for each one of them. You keep us all safe, Lord. And Father, I pray for those that are on their journey of faith themselves, Lord, that you would strengthen them, show them the next step to take. We love you. We pray for the refreshments. We pray for the blessings. Thank you again for all that we get to do. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.